Good evening to all. And uh, I did have a handout for tonight. But this is one of those nights that you find out whether you're really in a church that teaches verse by verse or not. And if you've never been taught chapter 10 of Genesis, you probably haven't been in a church that really teaches verse by verse. Because, um, you know, all the Bible's the word of God, but not all the word of God is equal, right? I mean, I would say the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 is more important than the genealogy of Genesis 5. They're both the word of God. And of course, some of the word of God is no longer applicable to us in the New Testament. And so, um, to say that the teachings of Moses are equal to the teaching of Paul the Apostle, that just wouldn't be true, would it? Uh, because Moses speaks of an old covenant that Christ on the cross destroyed. <laughs> it was crucified with Christ. And, uh, of course, Paul is speaking of a new covenant after the resurrection of Christ. So what we have here in chapter 10... It's called the Table of Nations. And it's called that because it actually has five different times in this chapter where it says, and these were the nations of these people. And let me tell you really what's going on here. We're going to get to chapter 11. We're going to hear the Tower of Babel. Everybody's together. And then all of a sudden we see Abraham. Well, where did this guy Abraham come from? Well, you know what? We got to go back and do a genealogy. <laughs> Because we need to show, and you know, all of a sudden, there's some Egyptians. Abraham goes down to the Egyptians. Well, where, where did these Egyptians, where did the Egyptians come from? They just mysteriously appeared. No, no, they didn't. They all came off the ark, and they all had the decree, as we saw last week, to go into all the earth and multiply. And uh, they did. And so... You can really see, as we're going to see here in a minute, it actually says, now these are the people of whoever and their languages and their tongue that they spoke. Now that didn't happen until chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, right? <laughs> but yet chapter 10 lets us know that this genealogy was written after the Tower of Babel because it mentions there, this is how... The world was divided, and this is how we got all these different languages. Because, hey, Adam and Eve spoke the same language, I assume, and their kids did. And how did we get all these languages? Well, it was something that God created. I believe it was already in man, but God created it in a moment of a time because they weren't going throughout the world, as he told them. They were trying to stay collected in one spot against the Lord and that's the Tower of Babel, and we'll, we'll see that. But it just so happens, and trying to give us a groundwork on which to understand all these different people we're going to see. We're going to see Babylonians and Egyptians and, and all kinds of people from all different places. Well, we're going to have the root system here of this, in this table of nations. But let me tell you what. This chapter 10 is like no other document on earth. You'd think there would be, in all kinds of different cultures, 
all everybody having a table of nations type of thing. Doesn't exist, guys. Let me give you a couple of quotes here. Henry Morris says this, even higher critics have often admitted that the 10th chapter of Genesis is a remarkable, accurate, historical document. There is no complete catalog of ancient nations available from any other source. It is unparalleled. It's an antiquity and comprehensiveness. Now, Dr. William F. R. Albright never did become a Christian, but he was <laughs> an archaeologist that used the Bible, probably more than any other archaeologist. And he was one time in Dallas and giving a tour and, and another guy was giving a tour and he said, oh yes, you know, uh, our brother, you know, Albright, he, he's a fellow Christian and he starts telling him the various things that he discovered from using the Bible. Albright, when he couldn't find a city, he'd go to the Bible and go, it's going to one day's journey from this place and he could find it using the Bible. And, and a guy overheard him say that and he turned around and goes, I am not a Christian, you know, <laughs> um, but the fact was, is he trusted in the Bible uh, far more than a lot of Christians do. Listen to what he had to say about chapter 10. It stands absolutely alone in ancient literature, without a remote parallel, even among the Greeks, where we find the closest approach to distribution of the Bible in geological framework. The table of nation remains astonishingly accurate document. Now, what we're going to have here in chapter 10 are 70 different nations, and from that, you have all the peoples of the world. Now, in this, he actually flips things around. Rather than starting with his Noah's first son, Shem, he starts with Noah's third son, Shem, or Japheth. And then he goes to his second son, Ham, and then to his first son, last of all, Shem. Why is that? Because the whole point of this genealogy is to get to Abraham. <laughs> so he's saving the, the best for last. Because through Noah's first son, Shem, came Abraham. Okay? Now you guys might remember last week, Ham mocked Noah when he lay drunk in the tent, and uh, he says, you're going to be little amongst the nations. Well, take note here in this chapter, all of the wickedness that comes from the lineage of Ham. So we start off in verse 1 with sort of an introductory statement. And by the way, in your notes, I, I've given you maps. If you're online looking at it, just go to the end of it and you'll see the three different maps that I have for you. But for you guys, I've got a map right up here behind me. Okay, so you're going to be able to reference that. And then we have a modern day one. Go there, Kirk. And so we're going to come back to this one, but I just want to show them what they're looking, they can look forward to. We have any map geeks in here? I do too. I do too. Well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, so, basically, Japheth, in verses 2 through 5, his lineage is going to be Europe. And he has 14 nations listed. Ham 
is going to be that of Africa, and we'll discover later also the Far East. And then also Shem is Asia, Asia Minor, uh, the Arab world. And in verse 1 here, it says, Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the sons were born to them after the flood. Now verse 2, The sons of Japheth were Gomer, uh, Magog, Marai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrius. Now, I'm not going to be going through all these names tonight, um, but you can, you can tell it's probably good that I don't. And... <laughs> But we're going we're gonna to have to take a look at some of them. So Japheth is that of Europe, or more importantly, in Indo-European, because really it stretches all the way from India all the way to the shores of West Europe, a big section there. This third son of Noah, his name actually means the enlarged one, a ruler, even though he's the only one of 14 nations, the least of all of them. But um, he is known as the father of Indo-European peoples from Western Europe, across Russia, down to India. Uh, the dominant world empires of Jephthah is the origins beginning with the Medes and the Persians, which is the Kurdish people today, the Kurds in northern Iraq. And there's still some um, that are roaming, living in tents and roaming around between Turkey and Iran and Iraq. And they're a real pain to those nations. They hate them and often try to kill them off. It's, it's a horrible thing there. But note the nations become important to us in, in Bible prophecy. Now, here's the thing. Later on, when you know, hopefully you want to know all the word of God, right? And, and you're going to be studying some of these major prophets and minor prophets and then going into prophecies. And, and all of a sudden, it's going to sound like you don't know one word that you're reading. But, but you should know it, because if you understand chapter 10 and where these places are, you're going to hear about them later, okay? So this is sort of like studying for the test. And you'll find the entire Bible is studying for the test of Revelation. Almost the entire book of Revelation is found somewhere else in the Bible. And so if you don't understand the book of Revelation, it's because you haven't studied the whole Bible, well, we're going to get to Ezekiel 38, which is very current, even now. And you're going to, it's going to mention Gog and Magog and Tubal and Comer. And, and you're going to say, what? Oh, this sounds like a bunch of nonsense. Um, surprisingly, um, none of these people spoke English. So it's really us that are odd men out, not them. I know when I go to other countries and people tell their names, I'm like, why in the world would your parents name you that? That's a horrible name. Sometimes their name is a dirty word in English or a very inappropriate word in English. Uh, and, you, and you hear people going, my goodness, what are they thinking? But to them, it's, oh, it's beautiful. That's a beautiful girl's name. And it almost sounds like a dirty word in our language. So it does take a little getting used to. But once you start reading the Bible and you hear these things all the time, then it, you become accustomed to it. And, and, uh, and like I said, when you go to some Slavic countries, they have a lot of, lot of interesting names to us. They're, they're normal to them. So Gomer would be the Germans, the Germanic people uh, from the origin of the Western Europe, including 
uh, the French, the Spanish, the, the Celtic people of England, Scotland, and Ireland. Then you got Gog, Tubal, and Mishik, which is the far north of Europe, Russia. Matter of fact, Meshach is the settled area around Mosul. Tubal is the settled area around uh, Tobolsk, which is in Siberia today, a river after that name as well. And so all those names that I just mentioned in this last little bit are all in Ezekiel 38. They're various parts that are going to go to attack Israel. There's a hook put in Magog and Gog's mouth. And it incenses him. And he gathers some other nations he's in league with, which again, we'll see here today. And he attacks Israel. And little old tiny Israel, the size of Rhode Island, takes out five-sixths of their army. Well, I, I don't know if you know Narya now, but Israel and, and Russia are having words and they're not nice. Russia is really upset with Israel. And uh, so I, I don't know. It seems like Putin has sort of lost his mind. I, you know, that makes sense. You know, why would somebody be so incensed to go attack somebody? What did they do? What's, what's one hook that would make them go up there and attack them? You know, for years they thought it might be oil. But no, there was no oil in Israel. Why, what, what would do that? Well, you know, if you're crazy, it could set you off. It seems like he's not normal. Something happened uh, to Putin, you know. Uh, I don't know if syphilis is destroying his brain or, um, you know, he got the COVID and he's struggling. I, I don't know. He, he's just not, he's unhinged. And, uh, of course, this is sort of what we see, expect to see in these last days. Um, Tyrus, according to the historian uh, Herodotus, brought forth the Thracian tribes of Central and Southern Europe. The Thracians were an Indo-European-speaking people who inhabited a large part of eastern and southwestern, or southeastern Europe in ancient history. The Thracians resided mainly in the Balkans, but were then located down into Asia Minor, which is uh, mostly Turkey today, and other locations in eastern Europe. And then Mahdi, that became again the ancient Medes, that populated the area of Iran and Iraq. The peoples of India also came from the branch of the um, Japheth's family. And then you have Javan, who brought forth the ancient Greeks, who were the seafaring people, it tells us, uh, the ways to the island described there in verse 5. Now we're going to look at some of Japheth's grandkids. Some of his grandkids, the sons of Gomer now, is Ashkenaz and Raphath and Togarma. Um, Ashkenaz is the people of southern uh, Russia, the Scythians. Uh, it actually mentions it in Jeremiah 51.27. But it is very much similar to the Ashkenazi Jews. Have you heard that before? Yeah, even in Israel today, you'll find a whole section of Israel uh, for the Ashkenaz, the Ashkenazi Jews. It's the, typically the white European Jews. And they started up uh, way up in Russia and they migrated down through all of Europe and spread all the way through Europe. So, you know, when you go to Israel, you have some Jews that speak mainly Spanish. 
My, our brother John Bonner from Peru, he, he does, well, when there's not a pandemic, at least once but not twice a year, he takes a group of students and other people from South America, Central Mexico, and they go down and all they do is evangelize in Tel Aviv all the Spanish-speaking Jews and have a lot of, a lot of fruit there. But then, you know, there's Ethiopian Jews that are they're very black, very tall, lean, beautiful people. Um, and then you got everything in between. When God said, I'm scattering you to the four corners of the world, he really meant it. Um, he really did a thorough job there. But the majority in today in Israel are the Ashkenazi Jews. And that's a word that you'll hear all the time. Um, if you go to Israel or even in the news from time to time, you can hear this. Uh, and then Rephath settled in the Ural, Ural Mountains in central Russia. And then Togarma uh, brought forth the, the Armenian people. Um, that's the area of Anatolia called Asia Minor. Again, Turkey uh, inhabits most of that part of it. The Armenian people have had it very hard. Do you guys know about the Armenian people? They had their own holocaust that went on. And our country just recently recognized that. I grew up in the valley, central California, and there were, next to us, they, and they were sort of like gypsies, the way they lived. They lived in campers, and they put them in a circle, and sometimes you'd have 50 of them, sometimes you'd have hundreds, maybe even thousands of them. And I went to school with a lot of the Armenians. They very much taught they had to stay segregated. And the very first girl I really, really liked was Armenian. And uh, I made her a little necklace at, at summer camp and gave it to her. And she had to give it back. And her parents were livid and upset. And my parents heard about it. And I, I learned at, you know, eight years old or nine years old, whatever it was, oh, okay, there's Armenians and I can't like them. But uh, they, they have restaurants, they're amazing. So, yeah, it, it's interesting when you, when you realize uh, in America... We really are touched by all the places in the world. And I think it's amazing because there's a lot of cultures in the world, folks. They don't welcome other cultures. If they show up, they're on the outside. They don't want them on the inside. And uh, it, it is amazing, you know, with the Christian ethic that we used to have, that it really was welcoming all these people. Um, that's just another point there. But in verse five, 4 and 5 now, now we're looking at the grandkids of Japheth once again through his son Javan. These are the Greeks. So in verse 4 and 5, the son of Javan were, and he gives the, the names of these guys, and the coastlands, it says, the, these people uh, were from the coastland peoples, or it also can be translated the island people of the Gentiles. There it is. The first time the word Gentiles appears in the Bible right here. And it's talking about the sons of Javan. Now, it's sort of irrelevant because after we get past chapter 12, everybody's a Gentile except Abraham and his family. So it's sort of, it's sort of insignificant in a sense because once Abraham comes on the scene and once you got Isaac and uh, once Isaac has Jacob and so forth, everybody's a Gentile. But it, it interesting. It mentions it here. These island people 
were, sep- were separated. That was the point. They're Gentiles. They were separated into these lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, and according to their nation. So here we go. I, I mentioned a minute ago, we're going to see this mentioned five times. And, and here he says a statement that we wouldn't know about until after chapter 11, when God scattered the world in languages. So this is written with that knowledge of Genesis 11. And it's telling you that we recognize um, the very unique languages these people have and, and their families and their nations. And of course, in time, a very distinct color of skin, a very distinct uh, look about them. And, um, and they would become a distinct people as they separated with people from around the world. Uh, does mention there Tarshish there in verse 4. Javan, eh, one of his sons, was Tarshish. And uh, this would be Spain or possibly England. We don't know. But the one thing we do know is Jonah wanted to get there and never got there, right? Remember, he was angry with God and he wanted to go to Tarshish. And uh, to him, it was the farthest place away at that time. Uh, Elisha is the, Josephus says, is the southern Italy. And this is why we think Tarshish, maybe. Some say the, 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 in Gibraltar is where it is or somewhere in that area. And then Kittim, Josephus tells us that Kittim is the island of Cyprus. And then Dodum settled in Rhodes, the um, area of Rhodes there in Greece. So uh, in verse 6, now the sons of Ham, Kish, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Now let's just remember the last story. Ham is the one who made fun of his father Noah and disrespected him. His two brothers came in, Shem and Japheth walked backwards and would not look upon their father's nakedness or his shame or his drunkenness. And he blessed those two boys, but he cursed Ham's child that was alive at that time, uh, Canaan. And, and he said, Canaan and all of his lineage are going to be a lesser people, are going to be servants of people, are going to be a curse, basically, to the world and not a blessing like the other lineages through the other two sons. So this is Noah's second son. Interesting, his name means hot. Or it could also mean protective wall. But uh, we know that, that Cush is actually end up being divided into two branches into uh, an earlier migration. So the first branch, they were in Ethiopia area. They first settled in, in the south of Egypt in the Ethiopia area. But then shortly thereafter, there was a split somehow. And it appears that Early on in that history, they migrated to northern Persian Gulf, modern-day Iraq, or Babylon. We're going to find the most notable person in this clan is a guy named Nimrod. We're going to see it here in just a couple of verses. But Mizraim is the ancient people of Egypt, Put, the area of Libya, and the region North Africa, west of Egypt, and then Canaan, populated the land east of Egypt, which we would call Israel today, the Canaanites, right? So think about that. So right now we're being told that the children of Ham that was cursed by Noah, or God, 
We're already seeing that the Canaanites are coming out of there. Were the Canaanites friends of Israel? <laughs> were they somebody that continually attacked Israel? And of course, Israel run over them and they're subservient. They were to be subservient to Israel. Well, in verse 7 now through 12, the sons of Cush, and he gives all of those names. Uh, interesting, again, Sheba, Dedan are some important ones. And, but Cush, here it is, begot a guy by the name of Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Did, did any of your guys' dad call you a Nimrod? My dad did on, on occasion. You Nimrod. Um, okay, I didn't know what that meant, but I do now. It's like, wow, okay, it's in the Bible. So there's this guy, Nimrod. He was a mighty one on the earth. Now, this sounds like it's positive, but not in reality. It's, it's, uh, it's being very negative, we'll find out. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, or could be translated against the Lord. And I'm not going to do it here, but in the Bible college, I go through all the different Targums, the Hebrew Targums teachings, and they all point out the various aspect of the Hebrew that this very much is saying that he was a hunter. And, and interesting, the word hunter could also be a trapper. And that the way it would be understood was a hunter of men or a trapper of men or a trapper of their souls. In other words, he probably was a mighty hunter. His emblem was a bow. But more than that, he was a guy who ensnared people in a negative way. He was very affluent. People followed him, but it was to their hurt is the idea. Therefore, it said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So the, mean, the beginning of his, referring to Nimrod's kingdom, was Babel or Babylon. We'll find it's also called Shinar. And then he gives uh, the list of these others in the land of Shinar. And that land went from Assyria, built Nineveh. Remember Nineveh? That's where Jonah ended up having to go. It was a wicked place. God was going to destroy it. That was one of the fabulous cities that he built. And then a whole list of other cities that he built between Nineveh and Kala. That's the principal city. So if you, again, think of Iraq and you think of Baghdad in the middle, you go up north, you come to Mosul. And the ancient site of Nineveh was interesting enough um, on the Tigris River, now, if you go Baghdad and you go down south, you come to Nazaria, Iraq, and the areas around that. And interesting, Babylon, that's where Babylon is built, was on the Euphrates River. And in between uh, Kala, which, you know, I could go into the modern uh, day of, of explaining what that city is, but I, I won't do that. Um, he built many, many cities from in between all over what would be Iraq today. And he goes on to say here, Cush begot Nimrod. This means, his name actually means to be a rebel. He ruled Babylon, and basically with Nimrod, he was rebellious, and he created the world around him to be rebellious against God. Um, 
The Septuagint version of the Hebrew Bible, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, actually translates it, he was a mighty one against the Lord. He was a mighty hunter in the face of God, in, in basically rebelliously against God. One of the targons of Jonathan ben Uzil says this, from the foundation of the world, none was ever found like Nimrod, powerful in hunting and in rebellious against the Lord. Why? So he's basically saying you got to know about this guy Nimrod to really understand for sure the next chapter 11. But guess what? You got to know about the roots of this guy Nimrod and Babylon and Assyria and all of the other uh, demonic cities he built in that region. And again, remember we talked about Babylon? It's probably the very exact location of the Garden of Eden. It's right there between the Tigris and Euphrates River. And, and I mean, it could be a couple different places that, that could have been between the Tigris and Euphrates, but most think it's there. And um, so basically this guy's going back to the Garden of Eden, so to speak, and he's going to build a terrible, as we're going to see in chapter 11, against the Lord, rallying the whole world. He, was, he literally was leading the whole world. And uh, if you would, this is sort of Satan practicing to be the Antichrist. This is sort of the first look at the Antichrist. And to this day, every culture in the world is affected by this Babylonian religion. A matter of fact, all religions of the world come from here. Interesting, huh? Well, not, not Christianity. Oh, yeah. Where did, where did Abraham live? Right there. The Ur of the Chaldees, right there where Babylon was. God took him out of there. Um, but what, what do we discover? Well, there's, there's many different versions of the religion that Nimrod built. Because, you know, the, the religion morphed as it went to Egypt. It morphed as it went into India. It morphed as it went to other. So you have variations of this, different names. But according to the basic gist of it is, is that this guy Nimrod married his mother Semiramis. But Semiramis had a child without the help of any man. She bore this child on her own, who was named Tammuz. Now, Semiramis has many different names. In the India, it's one name, the Sumatra. Another uh, is Ashtart. Uh, the Asherus, we'll see all the way through the land of the Philistines. It all came from that. But, but there's many different versions. Again, sometimes she, she didn't die. Sometimes she did die. But either way, she came back down, and, and she's really the god of the whole earth. But uh, Nimrod had something to say about that. But he, he eventually became reborn through his son to Tammuz because Tammuz, when he had 40 years old, a boar attacked him, killed him. Nobody knew about it. He was dead for three days, raised from the dead. And um, again, the, the, the various aspects of Nimrod and Semiramis and Tammuz are, are tied in to all the different religions. 
So you know in the Catholic Church where it has the halo behind Mary and the halo behind baby Jesus, that, that, is, that dates way before Christ. That is, Tamu, that is Tammuz, the baby, and Semiramis, his mother. And the, the focal point, again, was Semiramis, the mother. But yet there was always this competitive edge um, on things. And so when he raised from the dead, they, at the spring of every year, would color eggs and they would hide them. And, and, and this is sort of weird, but she, when she did go to heaven or died, she came back as a, um, an egg herself that broke, broke open and produced rabbits that, that laid eggs. That's the idea. It's, it's insane. But again, you say, where did we get Easter? That's Ashtart. That comes. That is a, 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 a transliteration from her name, her Greek name, of of Semiramis. So you say, where do we get this intertwining of that? Well, Constantine, when he became a Christian, supposedly, he he realized we have all these holidays, and we just we need to meld them all together, and we'll just turn them all into Jesus. <laughs> and uh, so, any picture? Oh, that's Jesus and Mary. That's. Oh, that's, no, that's when he rose from the dead. That's when Jesus rose from the dead, when they knew it was Tammuz for thousands of years. And then also, when was Tammuz born? December 25th. And they took and they would put a Yule log on the fire representing his death, his birth, they celebrate that, but his death, and when the log is burned up in the morning, there's this evergreen tree in their house, beautifully decorated with gifts under the tree. And uh, again, this is how they uh, celebrated uh, his birth and, uh, and also his resurrection or him giving this new life. And so um, I could, I'm, I'm sort of trying not to go into too much detail, but why is this important? Well, in Jeremiah 7:18, talking about Semiramis, or whatever many different versions of her. In Jeremiah 7, 18, the children um, gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead the dough and make cakes for, there it is, the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Now listen, this is coming back around. It's gonna rebirth itself in the last days and be very much a part of the Antichrist system. I don't have it here, but in in Zechariah 5, it's all about her coming back to Babylon and that the Antichrist sets up his economic system in Babylon. And the whole picture of it is this woman coming. Um, well, I'm not, you can read Zechariah 5. It's very intertwined. But in Revelation 17, verse 3 through 6, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. If you know what that is, the ten nations uh, of, the Europe, of the Roman Empire reviving, the little horn, the Antichrist, taking out three nations and then ruling it from seven nations this is uh, the, the, what is being described here. You have to go back into Daniel and study that and then 
add into how it comes out in Revelation. But the woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet and adored with gold and precious stones and pearls, having her hand on a golden cup full of what? Abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And in her forehead a name was written and it's in capitals. Mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. You see how it's against the Lord, that spirit of Nimrod and the face of God. I, I'm proudly a, you know, a harlot and an abomination to God. And then in verse six, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Do I think it's a Catholic church? Probably not. I do think that all the religions of the world will find themselves under that Babylonian religion. I think they will find to, you know, meld it all together the way Constantine did our Christmas and Easter uh, holidays. And so again, you say, well, should we not, you know, put a tree up and all that? You know what? It doesn't matter. You know, to the pure, all things are pure. But did Jesus, was Jesus born on December 25th? Absolutely not. It's freezing. There's no shepherds in the fields in the middle of winter. Uh, Jerusalem's 3,000 feet elevation, and so is Bethlehem, and it can even snow there sometimes, rarely, but it can. It's that cold. Um, so I do not believe Jesus was born in the dead of winter uh, whatsoever. Did, did um, they cause all the people of the world to go back to their hometowns uh, to, for the census to be counted in the middle of winter all over the, all over the Roman Empire? No, it, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. But you say, well, we worship. Well, we're not, it didn't, the Bible doesn't say we need to celebrate his birth at all. We do, it's fine. And, you know, we have different cultural, you know, clothes or colors or dances or trees or Santa Claus or whatever. Again, it's going back to Romans 14, to one person it may be a stumbling block, to another um, it's not. And then we, we hear the mention of Tammuz in Ezekiel 8, 14. So he brought me, to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And so Ezekiel sees into the prophetic future, this revival, and no doubt this, the Antichrist is the one who's re re uh, bringing back from the roots this system that has affected the entire world uh, with all the various religions. Shinar, we'll find in the book of Daniel, that's what they call Babylon. Um, and in verse 13 here, and then it gives the list of, uh, of some of the other sons. And uh, it mentions there the ones that are coming are right out of the, the Philistines. That the Mizraim, uh, his kids, one of them, Kasaluhim, uh, came the, the, the Philistines. And then his last son, the Kaftorium. Uh, these are the people that were in the islands of Crete and eventually migrated to the coast of Israel. And, um, and they set up in Israel and became a complete thorn in Israel's side along the coast. They were a, they were a sea people. Well, in verse 15 to 20, we now have the sons of Canaan, or the, again, the Ham's grandchildren. And we know about the Canaanites, don't we? In verse 19, 
they're from Sidon. You go down to Gerar and from Gaza. We know that. It's a Philistine uh, city later on. Uh, that you go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know about that right on the, the edge of the Dead Sea on the east side. Uh, it wasn't part of the promised land. And he says the same statement that we see several times in this chapter. And these were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, according to their lands, according to their nations. And then the sons of Canaan, this, these grandkids of Ham, Sidon, his firstborn, fathered the people of Israel and Lebanon. Interesting that he has one of his sons there, the Sinites. And the Sinites became the people of China or the Far East. Today we have the term Zeno or Sino in, in our culture. Lately you might have heard they're xenophobic, xenophobia. Do you, do you remember this? Back when the plague came from Wuhan and, 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 and Trump said, yeah, it came from a, a lab in Wuhan and they're going, that's xenophobia. Do you remember that? that that's where this word comes from. Uh, matter of fact, when Japan attacked China and there was a war there in uh, 1937, 1945 during World War II, it was called actually in history, the Xeno-Japanese War. And then we come down finally, last but not least, Shem, the sons of Shem. And I want to point out in particular this child, Eber. Eber is believed to be the root of the word Hebrew. And uh, the sons of Shem, Ilam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. So from Ilam is the ancestor of the Persian people. Asher is the father of the Assyrians. Lud, the father of the Lydians that lived in Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey today. Aram is of the Arameans, which are modern-day Syria. And Arphaxad was the ancestor of Abraham and of the Hebrews. And so we're going to... You're going to have a test next week at the end of chapter 11. You'll see this basically repeat itself, but it'll give us some more details about each of these guys that I find very, very interesting, but we'll only take a moment in it uh, next week. So all of these together, these sons of Aram, are basically produced the, Ar the Arabian desert people. Interesting, it mentions us. Job came from the land of us in Job 1.1. And then Mosh, those, that's Mesopotamia. That's the whole region there in Iraq, the greater uh, Iraq area down there. And so Mesopotamia is a historical region of Western Asia situated within the Tigris-Euphrates River system. Northern part of the Fertile Crescent uh, occupies modern Iraq. The historical region includes also the head of Persia Gulf, the Southeast Turkey, and West Iran, Southern Eastern Syria, and uh, Northern Kuwait. And then we see in verses 24 to 31 the breakdown of this system from Arpaxdad, again, this is going to be in chapter, end of chapter 11, and Zala, Eber, Peleg, Joktan, and it gives these names, Joab. So Peleg, the interesting verse here, one you want to remember, for in his days the earth was divided. Now, 
In its first understanding of what that means, most thinks it's referring to the Tower of Babel and they were divided by languages. When did that Tower of Babel story happen? There you go. Right after the time of Peleg. But we happen to know that after those people were scattered from Babylon, that there was at some point a continental drift known as the Pangaea. Have you ever heard of that? Now, some think that Pangaea might have happened during the flood and all, those, all the separations happened. But if you look at a map, it looks like you, you could put it to back together like a puzzle into one land mass. But I think it's referring to both. I think when God scattered the languages, that right at that same time, the continental drift begins to happen, taking these peoples that are now separated, and God moves them. So they are throughout the entire earth and not in just one continent or so. And again, when you look at how the distance is, you know, they would not have been able to get there uh, by boats or flying or digging a hole, digging a tunnel. It's, it's, it, it would have been way beyond their capabilities. But we find people that have been in little remote islands all over the world and continents all over the world for thousands of years. And then Jokdan, um, we're going to again find this. This is the son of Eber, the brother of Peleg, uh, is the people of Arabia. And then Jobab, many believe that's referring to Job. And it mentions him there in verse 29. And then finally we end in verse 32. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to the generations. Here it says it again. In their nations, uh, these and from the nations, in their nations, from their nations that were divided on the earth after the flood. Now, he goes right into chapter 11 saying, now I can talk to you uh, about various important issues that happened and you understand where um, this Babylon, Babylonian story comes from and then you also will have a sense of where Abraham is coming from, but also who he runs into who he's going to meet and who's attacking him. And you're going to know. So think about this for a minute. If you do the math, Abraham was still alive when Shem was alive. Or his dad would have been, uh, his dad, what we're going to learn about him next week, Terah, could have known the guys that got off the ark. Pretty crazy, isn't it? So there had to be a sense of everybody on the earth, even though it was a large number of people, that they very much were all cousins. They were all related. And at some point, there was a sense of, God wants us to be all spread out and go throughout the earth, and I don't like that because we're all family. Let's stay together. And then Nimrod comes in and goes, absolutely. Whatever God wants, let's do the opposite. He wants us to scatter to the end of the earth. We'll stay right here. He's going to come down and talk to us. Let's build a tower and go talk to him. But we're going to, we are not going to scatter. This is what you hear in Genesis chapter 11. We're not going to scatter. We're going to stay together. And so, again, when Abraham goes down to Egypt and Abraham meets Moabites and 
and, and all the different people's groups that, that are around in the world, there, there wasn't a sense like, oh, who are those people? It's like they all had a sense of, hey, we're all cousins. I know you. I know your dad. <laughs> you come from the line of Shem. You come from the line of Ham. You come from the line of Jephthah. Yeah, you're, you're related to me by... There, there was a strong sense of, of those nationalities, and they, they knew them, and they understood them, and where they came from. And so, uh, again, it, it just takes and, and makes it a very different thing. And so you're going to have this Tower of Babel where people are just rebellious against God. Everybody just with this, you know, spirit of rebellion. And everybody gets scattered to the four corners of the world. But who does God choose? Somebody, Abraham, from right there, who probably could see the, the ruins of the Tower of Babel. We're going to look at next week. There's historians that actually were able to go into the Tower of Babel and they report it. And this was thousands of years after the Tower of Babel, they all left and just left this structure there. So Abraham probably grew up in the shadow of that Tower of Babel. But yet God goes back to the Garden of Eden, Mesopotamia, the Ur of the Chaldees, and gets a guy and brings him 350 miles over to the coast, <laughs> Mediterranean Sea, and, and says, from you, I'm going to start a brand new people. I'm going to start over. You're going to be my new Adam, so to speak, in starting over. Interesting, isn't it? So as we meditate on this, and, and so I, I, I say again, you know, I, you know, if you're here or you're listening for the first time, you're going, whoa, what's the church, what's the preaching like at Calvary Chapel, Los Alamitos, going, this is not normal, Okay. This is one of those things where we all can say we're fellow band of brothers. We went to war and made it through Genesis 10 together. Well, what did God speak to you? Nothing, but I learned the Bible. So sometimes that's the way it works. Well, Lord, we just come before you tonight and Say, Lord, honor us as we sought to honor you, to understand not just the easy parts of the Bible, but the hard parts. And uh, to not just go through the areas that are easy to recognize the names of David and Goliath and Abraham and Moses and names that we know well, but to start realizing that there are many of these names in this Genesis 10 and we need to know where they come from. What's their lineage? Who were their children and their great-grandchildren? And, and, and how is it now in Ezekiel and Isaiah that these people are turning? These cousins of Abraham are coming now to destroy Israel. And, and we see that same spirit of Nimrod in them. Often the same root system of the worship that Nimrod set up in Babylon that they're still practicing. Even Israel is. So, Lord, as you open our eyes to our world and realize even how this system is affecting us and our Christianity here in America, I don't think it's hurting us, but it's still we're worshiping on certain days or having certain seasons built around what Nimrod set up, not what you and your word set up. 
But nevertheless, Lord, we come tonight saying, search our hearts. And let us be the opposite, Lord. We're yielded. Thy kingdom come like Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, Lord. Not my will, but thy will be done, O Lord. 